0: Hello everyone. I am Sid, the historian, and this is the Historian's Miscellany. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. This episode covers an alien encounter or abduction that took place in 1967 near Ashland, Nebraska. The victim of this experience was a man by the name of Herb Schirmer. Mister Schirmer grew up as a military brat and followed his Air Force father all over the world to Japan, Germany, France, and Hawaii. When he was 17 years old, Herb joined the United States Navy and fought during the Vietnam War. Once his service was completed, he eventually found his way back to Nebraska, where his parents were living. Not making a lot of money and not really finding being a store clerk exciting, Herb decided that he was going to go into law enforcement. Herb went to apply for the uh, Nebraska State Patrol, but he had to go get a check done at the Ashland Police Department. After walking in there, they actually hired him on the spot, and Herb spent many years being a policeman after that. And that takes us to this story that I'm going to let Herb tell next. Uh, It was
1: around 2.30 actually i think was the time that this happened but right around 2:20, 20. Uh, i was just checking two gas stations i left the two gas stations or excuse me I, I left the last gas station that i checked to pull onto the highway and i was making radio contact with the wahoo sheriff's office because we didn't have radio communications available in the city at nighttime because uh, we couldn't afford it so i told them that everything was all secure I pull onto the highway and putting the mic down I seen some flashing lights in front of me first appeared to me to be a truck I thought as I got closer and put the high beams of the lights in the patrol car on this this object started raising these lights started raising up in the air to about 40 feet I, I, I think I was something like 50 yards from this these lights were flashing, and they got as they got bigger, as I got close to it, it seemed like they were red flashing lights coming out of a porthole, which sort of circled the, the uh, craft. They had uh, like a catwalk going around the center of it. It was shaped like a football, very metallic, like a very shiny bumper, if you polished a bumper on a car. It had sort of a red, red, reddish, orangey glow coming under, from beneath it. And then there was this white flash that came on to me in the patrol car. It felt as if we were being pulled. And then it was being pulled, you know, we were being pulled up the side of this bank to the left of the road and up toward this fill, the car and I, I I felt nothing. I, I, uh, at first I felt kind of stunned and shocked and then I felt sort of tingly. And as the car and I moved up the bank to the top of this fill, this object landed and some legs came out and it sat down. I was just sitting there really motionless. I couldn't move. I may have even had my mouth open. I don't remember, you know, being probably scared. This hatch came open and this light came out of the hatch and this form came down and looked the form of a human being and this form started walking toward the patrol car with an object in both its hands appeared to be hands and he was walking straight toward the patrol car as he was doing this another form came out and started walking toward the patrol car also as this being got in front of the, walked up to the front of the patrol car with this object in his hand which looked sort of squarish oval type, it looked like it had a lens in front of it and the only thing I could think was oh my god what's going to happen now? and this green light came out all over the car and then saw sort of like went back in again and I felt a sensation then, and then I felt nothing, like I was just there and that was it. And this other being started walking up toward the car, I was sitting straight, looking straight, I couldn't even move my head. And he walked up to the car, and the window was about three-quarters of the way rolled down, and he had an object in his hand, a silver object. that looked like a big pencil with a round ball on the end of it and he pressed this against the side of my neck which I felt some pain from and said ouch then he stepped back and I sort of sat there and he opened up the car door and just went like this and I sort of raised up out of the throw car and I was looking at him and he was looking at me and. He said, are you the watchman of this town? And my response was, yes, sir. He said, come with me, watchman. And we started moving toward the spacecraft and it felt like I was walking on air. We got up to the hatch to where you went inside of the spacecraft and we just sort of like floated up into the first level. And he says to me, Watchman, come with me, and we were in a circular room. And there were a lot of cylinders, about four and a half feet high and about two feet wide that circled the whole room. And it had sort of like a cable running through it, two cables running through these. They look like tall batteries to me. And then in the center of this room was a huge cocoon or You know like this shaped object was spinning and it was giving off colors like the rainbow and was about 20 feet long and it seemed like these cables were coming up and connecting to these two block things that came down on each end of it and we walked the complete circle in there and i said uh what is this and he said this is how our craft operates. And he said it operates on electrical reversible magnetism. And then I looked at him and he said, come with me, watchman. And we walked back over to where I came up in with him and this glass sheet came down. And we stepped onto this, which I felt, and we moved up into the second level of the craft. And lo and behold, I've never seen anything like it before in my life with so many different types of instrument panels and computer type things that I, you just wouldn't believe it. This cone thing was right in the center of the floor. You can see half of it from on top and half of it from the bottom, but it gave off a red glow that, that sort of, not flashed, but kind of died down and then came back up again. And he says, watchman, come with me. And we walked over to a screen that was up on the side, I say, wall. Uh, And it was sort of like a TV screen. And he pressed some buttons and I guess flipped some switches. I wasn't paying too much attention to him. I was looking at the screen. And some stars in the sky appeared on there and he put his finger up like this and he said uh, this is where we're from watchman and then he put his hand back down he didn't say where and he didn't say the name he just pointed the purpose that we're here is to get electricity and there was another being standing a little distance away and the man turned to him, and they both looked at each other, and he started depressing buttons. And he says, watch, watchman. And there was this antenna on the outside of the spacecraft which angled toward a power unit, and this bolt went out, a color I've never seen before in my life, I don't even think I could describe it, went out and came back, and this stayed like this for about three minutes, and then it went off. And he turned and looked at me, and I felt as I was getting a, a very, very, uh, an awful lot of roll of input of words that I couldn't understand. And he reached up and he he, he touched me on the shoulder, and he felt real when he touched me and I think at that time I did touch him and he felt real to me and he says watchman come with me we walked back over to the exit I'll say where we came up and the glass sheet came down again and we went up into the third part of the craft which was the observation deck he said as we stepped off, he said, "Watchman, come with me." And we walked over, and we were standing there looking out of a big plate glass window type thing. And there were a, there was a control panel right in front of it, and there were two chairs that looked like dentist chairs. You know, I've ridden the dentist dentist chair, but really a uh, superstructure of a chair, better better than a dentist chair. Uh, and he we looked out the uh, window. And I could see this one being walking back and forth by where my patrol car was. And I think I said, wow, and he put his, he didn't know he didn't, He, he turned to me and he said, Something I I, I don't understand, and he said some more things that I I, I didn't understand or, or couldn't make out, and I still don't. And then he pointed his hand toward the plate glass window, I, as I say, refer to, to the stars out there, and he says to me, Watchman, one day you yourself will see the universe as I have. And he reached up and he touched me on the shoulder like this, you know, like grabbing you on the shoulder like a man does uh, to steer you away. And he says, come with me, watchman. And then he stopped and he said, watchman. And I turned around like this to look at him and thought I was like, I was getting more input of something that I couldn't understand then he says watchman come with me we walked over and we went down all the way out of the craft as we got outside this other being started walking back toward the spacecraft and boarded it as we were walking toward my patrol car and we stopped right by the patrol car and I Turned to look at him, and he was looking at me, and then again it felt like I was receiving an input of words of some kind that I couldn't understand. And he turned no, he sort of lifted his hand and then he turned and walked back to the spacecraft, floated up inside. This catwalk thing started spinning, the lights started flashing off and on. This red orange glow came out from beneath it, it started lifting up in the air, and I guess it got about a hundred feet high and just shot straight out of sight. Let me tell you, I was scared. I started feeling me again. When I was aboard the spacecraft, I had hardly no feeling at all. My body was tingling, I was perspiring, I was hot, I felt nauseated. I got back into the patrol car, I turned it around, and I headed back for the police station. On the way to the police station, at a high rate of speed, <laughs> I tried to make communication with Wahoo Sheriff's Office, and it appeared the radio was dead. I got to the station, I jumped out of the car, a fast walk, walked into the police station, and I noticed that the wall clock in the police station said one minute after 3 a.m. Well, I went directly to the bathroom. Not <laughs> to go to the bathroom but to drink water because I was hot. And I walked back into the main room of the police station. We had a real small police station. It was about 20 by 20. And uh, I sat there at the table. And I lit a cigarette, and I said, wow, what the hell happened? Something happened to me. Did I really see a flying saucer? Did this really happen to me? I looked at my report log, and I remembered through all the training and everything I went through that regardless of the nature or what it was, put it in your report book, because you just might need it. So I looked at my report book, and I got my pen out, and I wrote, at 2.30 a.m., December 3rd, 1967, I saw a UFO at, the, at Junction 6 and 63, believe it or not. About 6.30 that morning, a federal officer came in, and I explained to him what happened to me. And uh, the federal officer, says, uh, I believe you heard. One time I was on my way to Wahoo, Nebraska, and I was driving down the road. I looked over. Lo and behold, there were two UFOs sitting in a field, and these little green men were out there walking around it, waving at me. I said, sure, Paul. And, uh, He says, I don't think you should tell anybody her because I don't think anybody's going to believe you. Matter of fact, you're going to lose your job if you tell the people. But I said, Paul, it's the truth. He said, well, you know, he said a lot of people won't even accept the truth. I said, well, I'll wait for the chief. He says, no, I'll go on home. So I went home, and I was, you know, I really felt like everything was drained completely out of my body, and I laid down on the couch, and as I laid there, I started getting a buzzing feeling in my head. I felt like I was being... I had pressure on my body. I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't... You know how you try to open up your mouth and you can't say help? (laughs) I was trying to say help, (laughs) you know? And then I went off to sleep and the phone rang and it was the chief. And the chief says, Get your butt down to the station right now. What is this? You mean you've seen a UFO? I said, I don't feel good. I'm sick and I'm not coming down to the police station. He said, I'll be right over. So the next thing... TV came in, press came in, you know, newspapers, radio stations, and telephone calls started coming in. Two days later, the ridicule started coming in. Believe me. And I had a man run three blocks, huffing and puffing. He owned the Goodyear tire shop there in Ashland, Nebraska, and he let me, Herb. If you ever see another flying saucer and it lands, you tell them I want to sell them a set of tires. (laughs) Uh, The phone ring, this is the planet Mars, you know. I mean, really ridiculous stuff. I think, though, being here in Florida, one of the the neatest walkings I got was right out here in the lobby. The gentleman out there selling books. And I walked up. He says, Herb Sherman? I said, yes. My name is so-and-so, and and I was taken aboard a police cruiser. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was neat. Uh, The United States Air Force Condon Committee, Blue Book Project, or however you want to say it, investigating came... Team came down to Ashton, Nebraska to investigate me. Uh, a gentleman by the name of John Aarons, who is a friend of mine, and a gentleman by the name of Roy Craig, who was a physicist. Uh, John Erns, he probably hit me, but he was a shrink. Uh, a psychiatrist. <clears throat> Him and I had long discussions and he told me to tell my story over and over and over and over, and I told it over and over and over and over. And then they found a 25 minute time lapse in my log. And John says, Herb, uh, what happened to you between 2.30 a.m. December 3rd, 1967 and 3 a.m.? Or a little before 3 a.m.? And I looked at him and I couldn't say anything because I didn't remember. He says, You got to come to Boulder. I said, Okay. So they took me up to Boulder and I met a UFO team there of a lot of people who run a lot of tests on me. And a hypnotist by the name of Dr. Leo Sprinkler administered time regression hypnosis on me, which found out a small detail that I had been aboard the uh, spacecraft and that I had actually communicated with them. They played the tape back to me, and it shocked me. I didn't know what to think. I said, are you, is that really my voice on that tape? You bet it is, boy. I says, my God, what do I do now? So I, while I was up in Boulder, the city got real cute, you know, the see fathers and people in the city. Uh, the day I left, they, uh, matter of fact, the night I left, uh, they went down to our beautiful cemetery there in Ashland, Nebraska, and took this dummy and hung it by the neck in a tree and put a big star on it, shot a hose through it and painted the hose with red like blood and put herb across the star with a cowboy head on it. And they really made it look big because they went down to the mortuary and they got the ambulance out, a code three run, sirens, red lights, the whole works. Went over and they very carefully took it down and put it on a stretcher and covered it up and took it back to the morgue. I, uh, they thought they scared me, but they didn't. You see, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to scare me, but they didn't scare me because I thought it was kind of funny and I laughed about it when I read it in the paper and seen all the pictures and everything. But while I was in Boulder, they blew my car up with dynamite. And that really made me mad. I just got through paying for it. And I was furious. You know, I could have done like... uh, George C. Scott did in that movie Rage, you know? That's how mad I was. But through the whole crisis, I had one very good friend in Ashland, Nebraska. His name was Leroy Demet, very close friend. And he helped me a lot in Ashland. He was one of our relief officers in the police department. And I I I was really proud to have him as a friend and his way stuck by. Uh, My family I really can't say. Uh, I went to my father and I said, Dad, I said, "Uh, I know you have 20-something years in the Air Force. But I asked my father point blank. I said, Dad, what do you think of UFOs? My father never said no. He never said yes. He just said, Son, if you're telling the truth, stick with it. And so I stuck with it. I right, thank you very
0: much. So there you have the story in Herb's own words. You have a respectable member of the community that was trained in observation, had this amazing encounter. Just like Herb, I bet people have had trepidations about sharing these types of incredible stories. Unfortunately, Herb Schirmer is no longer with us. Had he still been, I would have truly enjoyed talking with him it's not that far away from where I currently live. On a side note, this story was the inspiration of Kincater Brewing Company's Star Snake Dank IPA. You can find a Kincater tap room in Broken Bow, Grand Island, Lincoln, or Omaha, all of those in Nebraska. Special thanks to Michael Jazorka of Bombshell Comics for the neat accounting of Herb's story through the media of a comic book with the added touch of the audio CD. And thanks to everyone for listening. I appreciate all of you very much. Please leave a review on the podcast medium of your choice, or feel free to visit the Historians Miscellany on Facebook or Instagram and leave your comments. We look forward to bringing another episode to you in the near future. Keep listening, and of course, stay curious.